0: Well sounds
1: gun. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape!
0: It's the Stinking Paws podcast. Good afternoon, Scott here as usual. A very special episode today as I've got two very dear friends, two very special guests to help me review. Quite a special movie, actually. Up north. We were just talking, joking about up north. Up in York, it's Stephen, my co-host from the Real Britannia podcast. Good morning, mate.
2: morning, mate. And yes, it is the Stinking Paws. Yes, (laughs) we're on.
0: Yeah, Yeah, a little bit... um, Confused on a Sunday morning, talking to you. Not too sure what I'm talking about. After well, that's that's part of the course, anyway. <laughs> what we <we've> got <laughs> like usually. <Yeah. laughs> and he is rapidly becoming a very dear friend of Real Britannia and Stinking Paws. Now it's Anthony from Glass Onion on John Lennon podcast. Good morning, mate.
3: Hello, everybody. I'm here to massively overanalyze this film. <laughs> uh, so, hello, Scott. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Brandon. Hello, Good morning, hello, Brandon. Hey. Hello, Philip. That's the way they say his name, isn't it?
0: Hello. Philip. Philip. <laughs> <laughs> this is becoming quite a habit. We recorded a couple of Real Britannias, the three of us, quite recently. Um, Anthony and I recorded a, a Raging Bull not too long ago, so that episode will probably be out by the time we we put this episode out. And yesterday, I appeared on your show as well. Yeah, brilliant. Nowhere boy. Nowhere boy. So lots and lots of interaction in this still in this time of lockdown depending when this show goes out i'm not too sure It'll be a couple of months time possibly but we're smack banging <laughs> we'll them. still be
3: on lockdown by then we probably will be yeah out. it's probably nearly nearly
0: christmas isn't that one? Oh, it's, it's definitely going into summer before this episode goes. <laughs> <laughs> just to give the listeners some idea of where we actually are it's the 26th of april so let's see how we go we have Sort of a joint decision. I think Anthony sort of led with this today as to what we're talking about. Anthony, what are we going to discuss today, mate?
3: We are talking about Rope from 1948, directed yeah. by the brilliant Alfred Hitchcock. I'll do my Hitchcock later, by the way. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll slip it in. But...
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people that haven't met Anthony yet, he's, he's a... I'm not going to say he's a good impressionist, but uh-huh. he's... <laughs>
3: I've only really got James Mason. Everything else is just a variation of that. (laughs) And that's debatable as well. Um,
0: (laughs) We may may get some treats today from, from Anthony at some point. Before we go into the movie, obviously I haven't spoke to you two guys about your history with Alfred Hitchcock because 200 movie reviews plus we've done in the last seven, eight years. And there's not many Hitchcocks that we've covered. North by Northwest, I think, is possibly the only one. And Real Window. Have you guys, I know you both love Alfred Hitchcock, I've got this from you in in sort of general conversation. Can I ask both of you in turn, do you have a favourite Hitchcock movie? Is there one that stands head and shoulders above all of the others for you?
2: Yes. Go for it.
0: Go first.
2: Is it a a one word answer? Yes. I'd Um, like to know what it is. yeah it is actually north by northwest um although i recognize from watching all the hitchcocks that there are films that are, are better in in many ways or have more inventiveness to them or the the scope of the story or whatever um it's it's my favorite i think because it's the one that i've i've sort of got to know earliest mm-hmm. um by properly what you know properly appreciating it And therefore, it sort of embedded itself in there as as the the favourite, even if it might not be um, the the best all round. But I mean, it's obviously great. It's just um, I can completely appreciate there are arguably other ones that people think are better. Um, But yeah, that's it's not by Northwest for me. It just Mm. um, for some reason uh, landed with me and uh, has has returned its it's top spot, really, just uh, through familiarity and fondness.
0: Yeah, before I ask Anthony, I'm just going to agree with you because North by Northwest is my favorite as well. It's it's difficult sometimes because if I watch Rear Window I'm thinking, "Oh god, that's a bloody great movie." But I th- yeah. or or even Psycho, you know, those three are possibly the ones that if someone was to hold a gun to my head, I'd be like, "Oh," or even a rope to my throat, you know, I'd I'd be sort of struggling between the three, but North by Northwest always comes up top for me, I think.
3: Let's see what Anthony's favorite Hitchcock movie is, mate. Um, I'd have to go Rear Window. Yeah. I totally agree with Stephen, and I've said this before. A lot of it is contextual, It's particularly when you watch them when you're a kid and you watch them over and over. And I love uh, what they call the limited setting film, which obviously today's film is Ooh, one of yes. those. I I've just I don't know why, but I, I just love those. I mean, he did it with dilemma of course. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's honorable mentions. I much prefer the first half of Psycho. You know, remember mm-hmm. when we we did Lolita? We said it was almost like two films. I mean, Psycho is so much like that. I don't really like the second half particularly. Oh, I love right, the, Jan- okay. the Janet Lee up mm. up to the up to the shower yeah. scene. Well, including the shower scene, but mm. um, <laughs> <laughs> did dirty, dirty. <yeah. laughs> um, Shadow of a Doubt is another honourable mention. It's a great with film with yeah. the brilliant Joseph Cotton. Yeah. I, I love that guy as an actor. So yeah. Mm. It's, it's difficult,
0: it isn't it? It's it's difficult to choose when you look through that list of of what he did. Mm. Um, there are a few turkeys in there, with the, you know. A family yeah. plot I still cannot get into. Um, a couple of the others, Marnie,
3: I like, but it's not brilliant. Um, she, that that girl can't act. I'm sorry. I mean, Kim she Lovac. wasn't an actress. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it, all the stories of how he terrorised her. Oh, it's just so dark and horrible. I can't i can't get over that when i think
0: see her films but yeah we've we've all got favorites and we've all got our reasons for them we're going to be talking about 1948's rope any minute now just quickly before we go into it i take it you guys are fairly familiar with it i know anthony you've seen it a
3: few times yeah oh very much so yeah yeah. over and over when i was a kid uh, right
0: okay
2: so we've got a lot to talk about there
0: Stephen. how many times do you know how familiar are you with it
2: to be fair, I think it's one of the ones that I've seen less often. I think I've probably seen it maybe three or four times yeah, in yeah, total. Yeah. So not 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 as many as Anthony probably saw in one year at one point. So, <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> well, when we first got our VHS the first ever vhs and you, you i'm sure you remember how clunky they were and how mm. oh, it took top, forever top to load just load, <laughs> yeah it just took forever just to load the thing in so yeah, it's a good test of patience but no we, we had a sort of limited number of films so we, me and my sisters and my mum and dad we just watched them over and over so okay guys let's take a short break
0: there is a trailer out there which we're going to play it's alfred hitchcock it's 1948 it's rope back after this
1: Trailer. 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 I do want to. I just think we ought to wait till after you graduate. I don't. It's only a month. Janet, a month. Please. Sorry. Right. I personally consider us engaged as of now. Congratulations. David, no. But you can say yes in a taxi. I have a 2.30 appointment I'm in your... I'm staying right here. Oh? fred you'll say yes. I'll see you tonight at Brandon's Park. Okay. You can say yes, there just as well as in a taxi. Goodbye, darling. Bye. That's the last time she ever saw him alive. And that's the last time you'll ever see him alive. What happened to David Kentley changed my life completely and the lives of seven others. Janet Walker, Henry Kentley, the boy's father, his aunt, Mrs. Atwater, his best friend, Kenneth Lawrence, a housekeeper named Mrs. Wilson, and the two who were responsible for everything, Brandon Shaw and Philip Morgan. mouse.
0: Which is the cat and which is the mouse. Enough of that. He's
1: got it. He knows. He knows. knows. All right. Enough. Easy. I'll take care of you. You won't. I just as
0: soon kill you as kill him. Rope, released in the USA on the 25th of September 1948, directed, of course, by Alfred Hitchcock, starring James Stewart, John Dahl, and Farley Granger. The simplest of synopsis listed on IMDb is a very short sentence. It says two men attempt to prove they committed the perfect crime by hosting a dinner party after strangling their former classmate to death. We've all done it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We've all wanted to. Sorry, I meant we've all thought about it.
0: (laughs) Notable for being Hitchcock's first colour movie. Notable for being supposedly taken in one, you know, filmed in one shot, or very cleverly appears to be filmed in one shot. A technical masterpiece. I know Anthony has seen the documentary that's on the Blu-ray, the same as I have. There's a lot of really great sort of background information and behind-the-scenes stuff as, as to how it was made and the technical bits and pieces that went on. Anthony, give us just a bit more of the sort of storyline because that really doesn't give anything away on IMDb at all.
3: Yeah. So basically, I mean, it is a very simple plot, of course. Mm. Uh, but originally when I saw this film, I mean, it's based on this Leopold and Loeb, who basically were two wealthy students. Who, they actually killed a 14 year old boy. Yeah. A rather, rather strange quirk of the legal system. They received life imprisonment plus 99 years. Uh, not <laughs> sure how that works. <laughs> It's not very nice, because even if you had another life, uh, the whole of the next life would be in prison. Anyway, (laughs) you you get the picture. You don't win, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of knew about that when I first saw this film, and it was kind of, I always saw it as murder for kicks. And perhaps I misunderstood that they actually wanted to get caught, but now having watched it the other day, perhaps they didn't. But um, John Dole plays Brandon. He's kind of the more dominant of the two, and they decide to have a dinner party for the guy, well, including the guy who they've killed, and they invite his family and everything. And um, they decide to serve dinner on this, it's a chest, isn't it? Yeah, which has got mm. the body in it. And obviously, you know, it's all done for, for the risk, for the excitement of nearly getting caught, and they invite their old uh, university philosophy professor, played by James Stewart. And so it's, a yeah, it's supposedly a real-time dinner party. I always thought it was quite weird that the, it's basically, if it is in real time, then it's it's a 30-minute dinner party for an old guy to look at some books, which seems a bit bizarre, but uh, <laughs> any excuse for a party, eh? And, I'd forgotten uh, that bit,
0: the first editions <laughs> thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird. Quite an elaborate and, dinner party with candelabra and all the silverware coming out as well, you know. <laughs>
2: And chicken. Yeah. Who doesn't like
3: chicken? I've got some books. If either of you want to look at them, you can come over. or will have a party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you got, have you got a chest as well that we can <laughs>
0: yeah, do? <not> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's very good. I mean, it's very, very much like a stage play, obviously. And it's in this one setting. And then gradually, James Stewart, Cotton's on. Uh, a little bit telegraphed, in my opinion, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it, it becomes a – I wouldn't call it a detective <laughs> – detective story it's not exactly that it's a columbo uh, it's a columbo episode yeah yeah yeah. all he needed was a raincoat (laughs) he had a hat though didn't he that's that's,
0: this is one thing i want to mention i'm going to talk to Stephen first about this because i sort of signposted this to you yesterday when we were talking anthony there's a bit of contention from the screenwriter who was totally against hitchcock including the murder scene at the beginning because he felt that Alfred Hitchcock being the master of suspense, he missed the trick by showing that that body was in the trunk. If the audience had gone through an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes or so, not knowing themselves if that body was in the trunk, whether it was just a game, it was a hoax, it was whatever, the suspense would have been heightened. Now, I know I'm sort of putting you on the spot by throwing this at you now, but would you sort of agree with that, Stephen, that if the movie didn't show... The murder scene at the beginning, it would make it a totally different premise.
2: I think it would make it to- totally different. Absolutely, mm. I understand it's debatable about whether it would make it better or not. But mm. um, I mean, for me, I think it it would help if I, you know, if I, I'd have um, been making a decision, just you know, given which option to take. I think having that suspense and and peril and question mark over it would. Would for me have been the way. You know, I thought it would have been better done. But mm-hmm. um, who am I to to question Alfred Hitchcock? Uh, really <laughs> yeah. um, So you know, i would be very cautious about about saying that. You know, my idea was better than his. Um, <laughs> I think the the obviously the, the the peril then comes in about you know them getting caught. And I suppose that element decreases if you're not sure whether they have actually done it or not. If mm-hmm. you, if you, your question is whether they've done it rather than whether any any second they're going to get discovered, yeah. um, it just changed the emphasis of the film. And Don't as I say, it. Mm. It, it's a trade-off um, about which one is better, really. And I can understand there being a debate on it.
0: Yeah, Anthony, did you have a little think about when we mentioned this yesterday? When you yeah. know, we sort of discussed and you said, "Oh, I'm going to have to sort of have a little think about this."
3: Uh, I'm very on the fence. I'm mm. not not really sure. I mean, I just know this film. It's hard. I saw it so many times, knowing that, you know, not knowing that that was another option. Really, yeah, but it happened before. Actually, have you seen uh, *Sabotage*? One of his really yeah. early films. Yes. Yeah, they had the um, the bomb. The little boy was carrying the package that contained a bomb, it? and he had the, the bomb b- go of the off. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I feel like this film. Probably the criticism of this film for some people is that it's more. It's quite sort of pleased with itself with the, the script and the whole setting and the, the technical exercise perhaps take over takes over from the plot a little bit. But uh I'm I'm quite happy with it the way it is, to be honest. But,
0: I don't know about you guys, I mean being quite familiar with it as you two are as well. Very first few times that I watched it and I'm I'm talking Early eighties. This is sort of like eighty three, eighty four. When I was like a young teenager, when I first saw it, I was more focusing on those early viewings on the technical side of it. On the, you know, where are those cuts? When it when is he actually zooming in on the back of somebody's jacket? And then you know that's where the cut didn't even cross my mind this time round. I was more focusing on the plot, the acting, the whole storyline, rather than the technical side of things. Did, do you find that that sort of becomes a background thing the more you watch this movie
2: for me <laughs> for me it's gone um i i when i first watched it, it was further into my my watching of hitchcock films so the, the technical um application on it was something that was more emphasized to begin with and mm. then it, it went into a phase like you of, of looking at that as a, a story yeah. and then it's come back now um to me looking at it a bit more for the 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 technical element appreciating it on for that level as much as anything else um it kind of has, has veered backwards and forwards for me and mm. it's, at the moment it's still um it's come when I watched it last night it was more on the you know it was the appreciation was heavier on the the technical side than it was oh, on right. the, okay. the plot side
0: mm. what about you mm. Anthony I mean did, did you focus more on the technical stuff or sort of drifted towards plot lines and acting ability
3: yeah, I've had the opposite journey to Stephen. I think because mm. I I was always big on the technical thing, yeah. perhaps like you. Mm. But I watched it. I mean, I hadn't seen it for a long time actually, and I watched it the other night, and it was still very familiar. But mm. I love uh, I love the characters, and I think the script is fantastic. I mean, it's some great stuff. Some good lines,
0: some very good lines. We may have to um, throw a few quotes out there in a second.
3: Yeah, one that comes to mind is when um, Janet, the the young girl who's David's fiance, uh, Rupert Cadell says to her, "We were just talking about you." And Janet says, "Did you do me justice?" And he said, "Do you deserve justice?" <laughs> and then, of course, you have Mrs. Atwater with Philip's hands. These hands will bring you great fame. Here
2: we go. The uh, first impression.
0: Sorry, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: but you know, she seems she's, like she was in the
2: room then. It was. It uh, uh, was well, Russian bad. Uh,
3: to be honest, yeah, <laughs> But no, I, I was focused on the. The characters and, and the script. And I think there's a couple of characters I'm not, a couple of the main characters I'm not actually that taken with, but mm. I love Brandon. John Dawler's Brandon is fantastic. It's Just the confidence and the charm. Slimy. And it, pretty, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just sort of on the
0: technical stuff, let's get this out of the way. I mean, on that behind the scenes documentary that's on the Blu ray, did you notice, Anthony, the size of those cameras? They were like oh, nothing okay. I'd ever seen before. Yeah, and they were on rollers, weren't they? Yeah, they were like – Stephen, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, you know how big like Panavision cameras are, you know, they're, they're yeah, fairly yeah. bulky things. But these were like boxes. They were like huge, like wood, the size of that chest almost, but upended. When you consider the technical difficulties and the expertise that went through the whole of the movie that – walls were on casters they were moved weren't they and furniture was yeah. moved and then there's this massive great thing on a, in a box trying to get in between being the point of view you know camera is an eye type view of, of what's going on yeah the technical stuff cannot be disputed it was it's a technical marvel it's the first time that i think that sort of thing had really been attempted on that level and we've got to appreciate that side of it. And that's, I think that's what early reviewers were, were more sort of noticing. They were saying that, ooh, you know, one of Hitchcock's lesser films with full praise for the technical wizardry that's gone into making it.
3: Yeah, I think it was quite painful for the actors. I mean, James Stewart's famous line was, it seems like we're rehearsing the camera rather than the the actor's. Mm. You know, and I've actually seen a picture. I had a Hitchcock book many years ago, and that you can actually see a picture of the floor. Yeah, and it's just incredible because you've got all these massive wires, and you've obviously got marks as they have in the theatre. You know, the actors got to hit this mark. And I think I think the actors, perhaps, although they got on quite well, apparently, they they actually felt that they were a little bit secondary to the wires and the camera. So they they felt like they were. Well, perhaps like Cattle, you know, the
1: famous quote. <laughs> the famous quote, quote
0: yeah. yeah.
3: The thing I, I sort of was thinking
0: about watching it this time round was, you know, in the past I thought about the technical side of how this movie was made. But then looking at this cast, having to do 10, 11 minutes of unbroken dialogue and throughout that dialogue having to hit a point on that stage at exactly the right time... That bit impressed me more than anything on this viewing that I don't think enough credit is given to the two main leads having to move about all this stuff that's going on around them, delivering lines at a precise time, you know, marrying up with the choreography of the camera and and the movement going
3: around them. And I really think that 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 should be given a bit more credit. Oh, definitely. I mean, it... I said it was. It's a difficult thing. I don't know. I didn't check whether any of these guys were stage trained. I imagine a couple of them oh, must be. I should have, have been. thought so. Yeah, mm. yeah. It seems like they would would be, but it's, it's very tricky. So I, I think I think in, this is a case where the end product was probably more enjoyable than the actual process. Although, mm. luckily, Alfred Hitchcock, by all accounts, seemed to be quite easy to work with. You know, he was no uh, Otto is always, <laughs> always.
2: the example
3: I give of a sort of fascist uh, director. <laughs>
2: Like you said, that the technical expertise is not just in the camera work and the, you know, like you've said about moving the the cameras and the scenery around and stuff, but absolutely the the the, the actors, particularly the men, too, mm. being able to apply themselves to that that detail and still carry out the acting parts. I think it, it you know would have needed a, a from themselves, and as Anthony's pointed out, without having um, that heavy hand. And, and strict regime from a, a director you know the kudos to the actual actors mm. for for being able to do that from the from themselves it's not something that's been whipped into them as as such mm. um so they deserve the the credit other than a, an otto from or, or some sort <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: do you know i think I had the easiest job in the whole movie the editor Oh, yeah. <laughs> They've only got to splice together five five reels of film you know? <laughs> because there's yeah. no cuts. You know, it, it must have been the easiest editing job ever. So come on in. Yeah. I know from past experience, Anthony usually comes pretty well mm-hmm. prepared for any discussion on any subject. Have you got uh, a few notes, mate? Go on, let's, let's start working our way through some of your thoughts and we'll chip in with ours. <laughs>
3: Well, should I go straight for the heavy one? Go for whatever you need to go with, mate. All right. Well you know, um you know the whole kind of justification for the murder is that, you know, there's an intellectual few that have a kind of right to commit murder, you know, and
0: Is this the man superman thing they hinted at?
3: Yeah. yeah. Um so uh, I, I had a bit of a Nietzsche phase when I was younger and um don't we all? Yeah, don't we all, yeah. <laughs> And the actual concept is Ubermensch. Now, Uber, of course, is is now only a, you know a type of taxi. Nothing <laughs> yes. to do with Nietzsche anymore. But uh, now, there's, there's there's not actually a good translation for Uber. I mean, I don't speak German at all. But it means above and beyond. Mm. And I think people who defend Nietzsche would say it's the idea of of man should strive. Uh, it's like a goal, you know, to strive a little bit further to become better. But um, just as the Nazis co-opted the swastika, which was originally a peace symbol. They they co opted to this to mean Superman, which basically meant exactly as Brandon Brandon says, and Rupert to some extent, um, that the intellectual few have a right, you know, with the Nazis it would be the Aryans of course, have a right to kill inferiors. So I you know, as you do on a Sunday morning, I want to defend uh Nietzsche's Memory, which has oh, been a bit besmirched because you know people put two and two together and say, "Oh, Nietzsche was a Nazi sympathizer." It's a regular feature on our podcast, mate. The, I, I was going to say you the, probably the, covered the, this already. <laughs> you know, I don't even know why I'm mentioning it. But... <laughs> it's just
0: covering old ground all the yeah, time, so, really. So, I mean, so. do you know what? I don't think we've we've actually mentioned any philosophers in the last eight years in this
3: podcast at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you carry on with your defence. Huh? Yeah, well,
3: that's it. That's, <laughs> it. that's all I've got. Um, yeah, what well, I said earlier about this limited setting, I, I love these kind of films, and um, my favourite character is definitely Brandon, uh, John Dole. Um, See, I
0: used to hate him, but we've said this before, that that's the sign of a good actor, because he's, he's done what was expected of, of him as an actor, that you, you find him slimy, you find him creepy, you find him a bit oily, you know. But yeah, I fully agree, he's great, and Farley Granger's equally as good in this, to be honest.
3: Yeah, well, the thing with Brandon is, uh, I kind of know a little bit about this. If if you make if you make the audience hate this guy, it's not half as effective. Mm. But if the audience is quite charmed, mm. and I think I think what's kind of attractive about his character, like, is the confidence. You know, he's always got a quip. Oh yeah. You know, but you don't hate. I mean, you do hate him because he's committed murder. But it's that film thing of suspending disbelief. You kind of like him in in a way, like Anthony Perkins in Psycho. You know. They'd yeah. made him unlikable. It wouldn't have been half as effective. Mm. But it's because you, you know, when you watch a film, you sometimes have to kind of, you know, you're, it's escapism. You're in another world. And sometimes you, you find yourself liking people, you know, like Walter White in Breaking Bad another good example. Yeah, very good example. Yeah. If you only hated him, then the, you'd get bored of the series. But there's something a, attractive is the wrong word. But you know what I mean? Something mm. charismatic.
0: Yeah.
3: One thing I like, did you, I guess you spotted all the times when they changed the real when, when they faded to black. I yeah, I wasn't was really
0: actively good. looking out for it this time, as I have done in previous viewings. But mm. I'll tell you what I did sort of notice a little bit more this time round is the attention to detail in the window in the background. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Stephen, did it. you notice anything, mate? Um, At
2: this time round, I did more. So, yeah, I mean, clouds, the, and, the, the, yeah. the, the clouds and, and <laughs> the the lighting change. There was that, and the. Um, I think I initially only really noticed when I'd watched it previously the change from basically day to night and the the lighting sort of with the regards, neon, so light. almost the sort of sirens yeah. and the, the sort of that kind of thing. That's all that I really noticed previously until mm. until last night. I definitely noticed there was more to it. They were projecting into the background there and having the changes, um, which was a lot. You know, a lot the detail that that they didn't really need to do, but they'd done. To, to lift this above a, a level of what maybe somebody else would have done as a film so sort of that staticness yeah. out the window
3: it's, it's quite curious because t- isn't isn't it almost supposed to look well not supposed to look but it looks very fake yes um, like you're on a, i mean it's really like a stage it does look, to look to like a stage, stage production
0: it? doesn't it yeah
3: yeah, but then com- conversely, they've added all these details. Like They have like an unfolding sunset. That was that was quite clever. And they've got neon signs. And apparently, I mean, I didn't spot this. It was from stuff I read. They had the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building, which is obviously two very famous Empire buildings Empire State in Building New York.
0: was on the left, I think. I could see that.
3: Right, right, yeah. There
0: was no, going to be talk of, um, as we know, Hitchcock appears in pretty much all his movies. And they were going to struggle to get him in because it was quite a limited, you know, cast and, and confined space. How, how on earth do you introduce Alfred Hitchcock into this? Mm-hmm. And the original plan, and, and Anthony will probably tell us what, you know, the actual,
2: what actually happened. It was a window cleaner, wasn't
0: it? No, it, wasn't a window, it was a window windows. was a Spider-Man <laughs> coming up the building or something. They mm-hmm. were going to have a neon sign on one of the buildings in the shape of that, you know, the Alfred Hitchcock outline from Alfred Hitchcock presents that cartoon drawing thing. And Hitchcock went, no, that's that's not, that's too obvious. You know, I need to do something else. So where was he, Anthony?
3: I think I got this right. Originally it was a neon, a neon sign in the background Mm. with his profile and it's called Reduco or Reduso, Mm. which is a weight loss product. Because when he was in, his cameo in Lifeboat was something to do with that, I can't remember. But in the end, doesn't he just walk past the building at the beginning when the camera's panning up?
0: Yeah, and again, it's quite difficult to spot him
3: as well, isn't it? Yeah, he's just walking down the street Mm. Right, 10 seconds into the film. And
0: that's the only exterior shot we get. Yeah, but
2: they they abandoned the idea of having him climbing the Empire State State (laughs) Building and batting away (laughs) (laughs) biplanes. I think that's been done.
3: Can I ask you guys what your favourite Alfred Hitchcock cameo is? Oh, what's the
2: one where he's
0: on the bus or getting on the bus? And he, oh, North by Northwest—he goes to get the bus and the bus pulls away.
3: Ah, oh, is that North by Northwest? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah.
0: it is at the beginning, isn't it? Where Cary um, Grant is going to lunch, and I think this is the titles of just finishing. the all. Bass titles are finishing, and then a bus pulls up and he, he misses it.
2: Oh, so Bass it's all bus titles. Sorry, yeah.
3: I like I the dial like m when he's in the old university photo. Yeah, very clever. With yeah. Ray Milland and yeah. uh, what's the guy's name? Swan, the killer. Yes. Or the one who gets killed with the yeah. scissors. Yeah, mm. That's clever. Because it's that kind of... I said, when you're in a film, you can suspend disbelief. I mean, in this one, of course, you must have... I'm sure you picked up on... When he, They're talking about James Mason and Cary Grant in
0: films. And there's, they say something, he was in that film and it only had one word. It was something
3: of the, no, yeah, no, right. it wasn't. And you're thinking, what well, is that? Not- they're talking about notorious or whatever it may have been. You know? <laughs> I mean, James Stewart's fantastic with winding up Mrs Atwater. And, and also the maid as well, obviously fancies him. Yeah. He's very he's very good at that, you know, just taking the piss out of them, but in a kind of not a nasty way. You yeah. know? The something with, what's her name? <laughs> the something of the something. <laughs> and I think, is it Carrie Grant, or it's either James Wilson and James Stewart says, is he any good or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to be sort of on the ball to spot some of these little
0: references. It's very mm-hmm. clever. We were saying the script is very clever now. I love it, yeah. Yeah, it's based on a, it's a British play, isn't it? It's not actually the Leopold and Loeb. Thing. It's a completely separate entity, isn't it? It's a British play called "A Length of
2: Rope" or something like that. Um, my understanding has been correct up on this, and, and Antony might correct me because um, he's probably better informed than me. My understanding is it's it's a British play based upon, inspired by an American murder from from some time earlier so on. the the Leopold and um, Loeb. Thing. Yeah. And that's where there's the, the the cross Atlantic already uh, exists. And I know there was prediction, uh, along with the stage play, there was productions done of of this um, previously. I think the BBC did, did. There was a Dirt Burger one, wasn't there, that was done shortly before this, mm-hmm. um, I believe. Um, oh, I I yes, it, so. I watched
0: it last year.
2: So yeah, um, I think it was done just before this one was, but. Sort of separately, and as you've already said, because they altered the the script and a lot of the the shooting of it, it's like they were both inspired by the same source material, but they weren't sort of you know identical in 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 that way. But um, yeah, the the where they actually comes from originally, the actual original inspiration for the story before the, um, the stage play was written, uh, Anthony's probably got more of an idea with his um, researching mm. skills.
3: No, I just know it's Patrick Hamilton. I think it's called Rope's End. Rope's End, that's it, um, yeah. And then Hume Cronin adapted
0: that. Yeah. And then the screenplay was written based on Hume Cronin's adaptation, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, I, I didn't quite, couldn't quite work out who did what there. So what's an adaptation? Is that a treatment? Is that just a, I, a I'm story? am assuming adaptation.
0: so. I know, but this is all from this documentary that we both saw. Yeah. And, and Hume yeah. Cronin makes an appearance at the beginning. And then... His name is on the titles. It's there.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, I think it says Adapted for the Screen by Hume Cronin. That's right. But then the focus um, documentary is the screenwriter himself, which was very insightful, actually, I must say. It's one of the most yeah. in-depth sort of insights into a Hitchcock movie I've ever seen. And and who's the other? Oh, it's Patricia, Hitch- Patricia Hitchcock is also there, isn't she, giving her thoughts on it as well. Mm. Arthur Lawrence. There we go. That's the one. Is uh, the guy that's credited with the screenplay. Now, Stephen, you haven't seen the the documentary, but there's a lot of controversy over the homosexual undertones or overtones of this movie, obviously, at the time. Or, yeah. uber Ubertones, uber-tones Sorry. yeah. Sorry.
3: <laughs>
0: and, and Arthur Lawrence mentions it quite frequently throughout his interview and it was referred to how did they refer to it and was was it called it it, yeah.
3: it called there's something it. about dear boy I Yeah,
0: didn't this quite is quite understand thing. that yeah when when the original play was adapted from the british version there's a lot of sort of conversations that start with oh dear boy you know a very british sort of mannerism oh dear boy like that when it gets translated to an american audience that is instantly <laughs> taken to be homosexual dear boy is, is very affectionate so they had to remove all these references to dear boy arthur lawrence had to sort of change them all but there was an original script wasn't there we saw on screen Anthony, neither had these things with yeah. big red like circles around them highlighting all these offensive comments mm. and i think originally i read somewhere and i don't know how true this is that the jimmy stewart character it was implied somewhere that he'd had an
3: affair with the Farley Granger character while he was at school. Yeah. Is that right? I, I just... If, if that was true, I mean, I just didn't buy that at all. No. Uh, James Stewart gave no indication. Not at all, no. I mean, not not that I was expecting him to come in the room and start sort of camping it up <laughs> or anything. There's no... I'll just say there's no... Not even any subtle hint of that. No, so not at all. I,
0: I felt it's like
2: the, It's more the, the original um screenplay, my understanding is the that it um it was more explicit the homosexuality and the um with regards to that being a, a, a thing rather than explicit uh, um, acts well. of homosexuality. But um the, and the the um James Stewart character which was had a different name and and, and really the, the character in some way was different because they were they were younger anyway. They weren't they were they were still a current tutor, um teacher. Um, rather than having, you know, moved on to a different career and been older, they were just about ten years older than the actual um the the, the two protagonists in this. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that there was that element that was in there was was more open as far as, as far mm-hmm. as the original play and from what I can from what I can tell from what's been been said elsewhere, I mean the lead characters in this um, you know finally Granger um, included was um that they were suspected of, of being um homosexuals anyway um and obviously with the, the the BBC adaptation that was done um around the same time before with Dirk Bogart um him as well being gay um I think that you know it was one that strangely maybe um the actors themselves felt felt attracted to the parts because of that that subplot no matter how changed it was in the Hitchcock version um and that might have been why they they themselves were attracted to playing the parts but um I don't think in this version in Hitchcock version of it I don't think it's um it's really prevalent I don't think it's even it's even hinted at to be perfectly honest I think it, it is um it is more so the source material rather than than what's what's being portrayed on screen. I think that what what they've done is actually, as, as Scott said, they've tried to eradicate the references to it rather than um, subtly include them. Oh, so do
3: you, so Stephen, would you say that it's not even clear that Philip and Brandon are a couple, or is that what you're
1: I, saying? I or? think
2: I think that it's difficult for them to get away from the fact that there is. There is some form of relationship in there between the yeah. two, and, and that being, I think it, it's hard to eradicate that one. And I think that maybe they would have done if mm. they could, but because of the the nature of the relationship, because of there is a, a, a um the, the nature of the relationship between them kind of implies that there's more than just friendship, and there is more than just a that devotion, especially, especially from one to the you know to the other being being led and against mm. their own. Better judgment and why they're 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 allowing that to happen because their, their feelings are, are such that does give an explanation. I think it's all downplayed to the point where they're trying mm-hmm. to not not emphasise it and try to eradicate it rather than the fact that they're just trying to be clever about it. Um, but I, I don't I don't think you can eradicate it for for, for them too because there, there needs to be something more binding them together other than than the fact that they're simply friends who decide to carry out this act there needs to be some other deeper relationship I think between the two of them
3: yeah they're clearly sort of intimately involved in whatever in whatever way
2: you take that you
3: know and of course the murder I think it's quite clever at the beginning showing the murder because the murder is a very intimate thing isn't it you know I'm sure you've seen Strangers on a Train when he strangles uh, Miriam and the fairground. It's very intimate. I mean, that's not just my interpretation. I watched uh, some stuff about that. I, I guess the thing you got to remember is that when, when they sort of seem to be wanting to avoiding the topic of homosexuality, remember that it was illegal, you know, they're not just being prodish. Yeah,
2: uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was legal. For, and... for a Long time in both, both the UK and the and, uh, United States. so it was you know still decades before there was in some way that there was a a change in that and even when the laws changed there was still sort of persecution and particularly people's career portraying a a gay character even if you weren't would would potentially be risky um so richness and then the sense obviously we know of course the censors having their own view as well where they say they were a bit behind the times as far as what they deemed was reliable and what what society did so yeah you're right just to say it's not just prudishness there's a there's there's a wider context to diminishing um the emphasis I think on a stage play it's different to what's going to be put out on a, a film
0: I'll tell you what I noticed as well this time round just going back to the technical side of things we see all four sides of the apartment
2: mm.
3: uh, it's quite unusual isn't it yeah. yeah
0: it's not just filmed from a an audience point of view, watching a stage production, you do actually see the chest from the other side and the wall behind one mm. point door. I'm sure you do. And, and I think I read somewhere, it's filmed in real time, or supposedly in real time, it's supposed to be an hour and 20 minutes long. Mm. The events take place over an hour and 40, and it's a very clever technique, The sunset goes far quicker than it ought to. And the dinner scene apparently is cut, but we don't realise it. It's, it's shorter than it actually takes place. And the audience is given the impression that he's watched an hour and 40-minute movie when it's only an hour and 20.
3: It's a very clever illusion because we were recording when I was saying earlier that it's basically a 30-minute dinner party. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> For an old guy to look at some books. Yeah,
0: but it isn't. That, that dinner party takes another 15 minutes, the actual dinner part of the, um, the events. But right, you don't right, realise right. it. And he's very clever. He's very good. It is many,
2: uh, you know, many other. I don't know whether in the how much in other versions and how much in the stage play there was more emphasis put upon the dinner party, but certainly in in similar, the dinner party would be where there was uh, uh, various um, parts of of. Plot being been put out in discussion, or there been the conversation would have been had at the dinner table, where, where there'd be the chance of, of mm. discovery on things. But because there the was attention to be around the chest, basically, mm. it, it meant that threw away the, the the actual dinner party dialogue, and and that has been an, an aside. And I think that was that was the right thing to do, mm. um, because we you know we need to trading on the, the peril around the. the the chest and the discovery. Mm. And also, I think it allowed us to keep the action basically within that one room as well because the the actual dinner was had in the other room, which I do think that, for me, the containment, the situation for the two lead characters and the peril of discovery and that intensity... Um, ramping up, and that being, you know, part of the excitement for them, what they're going for. But it being, it being contained within the four walls, and you're right, we do get all four walls uh, mm. all right briefly. Means it, it it is that containment. It's almost like a box within a box, and the the tensions right ra- is rising from it all being limited and boxed in, and a pressure keg in a way of mm-hmm. uh, building up. That is the cleverness of that setting. It being content.
0: We get the briefest view of the hallway because there's yeah. that scene with the hat, which is absolutely fantastic the way that yeah, reveal is. is done. But my favourite scene, and you don't actually go into this room, but it's that long shot taken from the trunk, the chest, yeah. looking into the kitchen where the maid is collecting glasses and crockery and the door swinging backwards and forwards. And her coming from the kitchen through the two rooms. And just that conversation going on in the background. We don't get a full view of the apartment, but, you know, it's brilliant. That long shot of looking right to the other end of the building itself,
3: going into the room. Yeah, edge-of-the-seat stuff, if, if
0: that was your first one.
3: Yeah, do you know, I was just about to mention that. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's It's actually... Thinking about it, it's something that's been used in a lot of films, where the camera will focus on one thing, and then there'll be people having a conversation, like you said. And of course, they're all discussing where David is, aren't they? Yeah, I and, mean, and Mrs. What's her name? The maid is going. Mrs. Wilson is it? I she's think, going yeah. back and forth, as you said. And, and, and do you mean when she's taking the books off the table one by one, and she's going back and forth? Yeah, right? because yeah. The, the camera is still in the in the lounge
0: in the front room. Yeah. That the action is taking place in the kitchen. That's right. Yeah. But you get the swinging door, and it's just you know flitting in between as her going backwards and forwards. Um, you saying about that focusing on certain objects and stuff? Is it notorious where Ingrid Bergman has got the key behind oh, her yeah, back, yeah. and the camera is just focusing on the key? Is that one? That's right. it? Yeah.
3: Yeah. It is. Well, he was copying his own trick because in I can't remember which is the film where you've got the drummer in blackface. Which film is that? Oh gonna bug me now i think it's saboteur mm. the, the one that ends on the empire state building yeah it's a, it's a massive pan down and it's uh i can't remember the plot to be perfectly honest but it's a drummer in blackface and he's blinking a lot and that and that's the clue
2: that he's the killer
3: yeah mm. so
2: notorious is actually
3: the, i think it's the second time he'd done that but yeah fantastic
2: <laughs> it occurred to me more so last night than it previously that the camera with shooting through to the you know scene sort of partially to through to the the, the camera staying in the main room it's creating the the effect of that being the the viewer's eye and you, you're basically you're a, a static viewer rather than it being that you're roving around just following the action sort of godlike you know in a way that you you know it places the viewer a bit more and keeps them static uh, that this is happening around them rather than them following the, around the action and uh, which I've, again i think create you know hypes up this Feeling of
3: containment. Like I say, it's definitely been done. I mean, I remember taking a pill in one, two, three. The obviously the '70s version, not a horrible remake, is one of my one of my very because I love Robert Shaw. For a start, he's one of my favorite actors. There's definitely a bit where Robert Shaw's on the on the microphone, talking to you know Grand Central Station, and Martin Bolson walks. I can't remember what he's doing, but he walks up walks down the, um, the corridor in the in the train. So it's definitely. I'm sure it's been done loads of times, right? Possibly it yeah. originated here. I don't know if it had been done before then as well. Oh, I'm sure it had uh, been done So yeah. he's done it before himself. but Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, there's, a, there's a bit with, um, do you remember where Brandon puts the rope in the drawer and they do a really clever thing with the swing door? That's, you see the, yeah, I'm you sure see I'm the, the door too swing too and then you just mm. see a little glimpse of Brandon and the way he drops the rope into the drawer, <laughs> so nonchalant. <laughs> it's so Brandon, you know. It's like, oh, I don't give a fuck, I'm not going to get caught. <laughs> not in a million years, you know. Yeah. Very, very clever. Very yeah. clever.
0: Yeah.
3: Are you guys aware
0: of the missing Hitchcocks, the Lost Five? Do you know this no. story?
2: No. He, yeah. Yeah. He kind of. I can't remember the list of what they are, mm. but I know there was, there was ones, if I remember the story correctly, was it that he withdrew them either because he wasn't, they weren't favourable to him anyway, in his opinion or there were ones that he he withdrew due to mercy for his daughter to be and I think there was was trouble with Harry one of the ones
0: yeah picture contract with Paramount he negotiated this incredible deal that after eight years the entire rights to the five movies would revert to him and him alone unheard of in Hollywood right and it included Rear Window Trouble with Harry, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Vertigo. Psycho, he sold the rights back for a share of the stocks, I think it was. So Rope was included in this five-picture deal because it was made by his own production company. And basically, what it meant was, after eight years, which literally took it up to about 1961, the movies were never screened anywhere, right? They, They were not allowed to be screened. And there was underground screenings of rear window and vertigo in private cinemas because they were not seen for years and years and years um i think the bfi approached him because they wanted to screen vertigo in 1969 and he said on one condition you tell me where you got the print and i will destroy it he was like adamant that these films were not going to be seen and when he died in 1980 the rights reverted to his daughter patricia and she made this fantastic deal to get them re-released cinematically um in the sorry, get them re-released in the cinemas in eighty two eighty three I think it was. And it was the first time these movies had been seen by the public, and the the rumour was there was there was two possible reasons why he'd done it. One was the incredible tax system that we had, you know, in this country that he would have been taxed up to the eyeballs on any future profits he made from it. Oh, yeah. And I and Stephen, quite, that it was a legacy for his daughter that, you know, keep them hungry for more, Alfred Hitchcock's favourite sort of phrase and saying, you know, just keep mm. them... Get, you know, if, if I take, take them out of circuit, that will be a fortune when I'm gone. So what happened, and this is where my love for Hitchcock came about because pretty much straight after the cinema releases in the early 80s, they screened them on TV. So for the first time, I saw Vertigo, I saw Rope, The Trouble with Harry, and The Man Who Knew Too Much. There's a lot of Hitchcock here, you know. <laughs> mm. um, and for me, it also explains why, because Vertigo was unsaid all this time for years and years and years. Do you remember that like, Citizen Kane would always appear at the top of everybody's, you know...
2: Yeah, room. and then Vertigo, and then Vertigo yeah. shot in there. Yeah, and that's
0: the reason, because it oh. was underseen, and right. And people have learned to appreciate it since its release in, in the mid-'80s. After he died, I mean, there was a huge season of Hitchcock movies on the TV, and that's where North by Northwest was one of the first ones I saw, and all the Jimmy Stewart ones in, when these five were re-released. But it's a fascinating story. It was never, ever done before or since that all the rights to those five movies reverted back to him after eight years, and he just shelved the lot. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. That's my oh. TED Talk for this week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you and good night.
3: <laughs> can, I, can I ask you guys whether... I mean, are there any flaws in this film? Do you, do you find that... Oh, there's loads. The, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, it's, it's not perfect, is it? Sorry to to sound like that. It's a technical
0: masterpiece.
3: (laughs) It's not the best
0: Hitchcock. It's a great Hitchcock. It's a great movie by anybody's standards. I enjoy it. I think I enjoy it if I don't watch it as much as I used to. I used to watch it quite often years Mm. ago. But having gone back to it today after about four or five years, sorry, gone back to it this week after about four or five years, I, I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. But it's not perfect. It's not a perfect Hitchcock movie by, by any, any stretch.
3: So what would you say was perhaps not that convincing? Because like, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Oh,
0: I don't know. I think the fact that it is so stage-bound and, mm. and the technical things that he was trying to achieve may have just sort of impeded on the plot line, the storyline and development mm. of, of what was actually going on. I mean, Stephen, this, this is not a perfect movie by any stretch is it
2: as Anthony was talking about before the social mores of the time and and things that that might have provoked them to take a different aspect with the emphasis on the relationship and the, the motivations behind all of this and it might have ended up being also that that was a Uh, changed the focal point and therefore that's why they decided they might have then decided to address what you brought up as a question about whether it was better to not show the Mm. um the Mm. the actual murder happening which i think if those you know those two would be changes would have about it and uh, it's arguable that that might have been better um under this under different circumstances with the wider context out there but there there are flaws in it i mean i don't actually think that, much as I, I think he's a tremendous um, actor, I don't think that James Stewart was necessarily the right one for,
3: yeah,
2: for the say. part. Mm. Um, you know, somebody... um You could maybe go through a list of other people you could imagine... Um, doing it now, who was at the right age, you know, in you know, order to be able to do it at the time, was a different matter. But yeah, I think that that you used to him playing a certain kind of character anyway. So when he's not playing a, a character that's that's more immediately somebody you identify with, and playing the lead as well, um, mm-hmm. it does that does feel a bit disjointed. But it's, it's not a, it's not a great Hitchcock, although it is a great film because obviously with. Within the, the filmography of Hitchcock, you know, even the bad ones are a good. I do agree with Scott there that it's it's it's, it's a a bloody good film, um, yeah. despite not maybe being the best um, because it's, it was it was an experiment. It's I his most daring.
0: I'd, I'd say it's his most daring. It's his most experimental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and before I let Anthony fly with all of his notes again,
3: <laughs> there's not too much. Uh, it's okay, but it's I, I just want to say
0: it's interesting that Stevens pointed out Jimmy Stewart there this is almost like the dark reflection of Rear Window that comes a few years later. Mm. You know, also set in a confined space, right? But uh, we're witnessing something in both movies. I'm going to try and explain this as best I can, okay? We're we're voyeurs, almost, yeah. Mm. But it's almost justified in Rear Window because we don't know what's happening. We suspect that a murder has taken place. In this we know that the murder has actually occurred and and we're sort of questioning ourselves how long we can we can actually sit and watch events unfold here whereas we don't know in Rear Window
2: you're looking out with Rear Window and this is looking in Mm. oh yeah very good yeah yeah it's it's,
0: it's, it's a good double bill not just for the Jimmy Stewart connection but just it's a a light and dark version of a similar sort of premise almost
3: I'd never never thought about that that of course he's kind of playing detective in both of them Mm. yeah no i mean my issues is two really i mean james stewart it's funny actually scott in that documentary Mm. uh they're not really promoting the film very well because they kind of conclude that it doesn't really work don't they the
0: screenwriter is the guy that takes up the most of the uh the running time of that documentary and it's it's not necessarily a one-sided Definitely. Sort not. Of thing. Farley Granger's brilliant in, in that documentary. It was interesting to see his, mm. his take from an actor's point of view.
3: I mean, my issue, I'm going to possibly commit heresy here. <laughs> I actually, I'm not hugely into Vertigo. I can see why people like it, but I have a, I have a slight issue with James Stewart when he's going dark. I mean, I know it's a wonderful life, which I agree with you, Scott. It's an absolutely fabulous film. Yeah. And that's very dark, but. Even the bit with Clarence, you know, um, not Mm. to go on a tangent, sorry. Um, James Stewart doesn't necessarily have to play that dark. It's a dark theme, and Mm. uh, I have a slight issue. Even with Vertigo, I didn't find it totally convincing towards the end. And I just think James Stewart actually said, I mean, he's not in this documentary, but they say that he thought he was miscast, so, you know, he should know, really. (laughs) Vertigo is Um, my
0: least favourite Stuart Hitchcock collaboration. Right, interesting.
3: I yeah. mean, having said that, I can't really imagine Cary Grant. Ugh. Again, Cary Grant's someone I admire, but I find it a bit hard to take him seriously. Maybe it's just that voice, you know. It's, <laughs> I don't know. And the other issue, I think they they have this expression in America that's becoming very trendy, which is "on the nose." Mm-hmm. And the way I the way I take that is to mean that something's a bit too a bit too telegraphed or a bit too obvious, you know, not very subtle. Yeah. And the way that the way that Philip kind of falls apart weirdly enough you know remember we did this on real britannia mm-hmm. didn't it? because tom it's bell's tom Bell character is drinking remarks. all the way through it and just completely loses the plot and you you just kind of think i mean okay you know if you kill someone it's uh, you're going to get very nervous you know when you got your old philosophy professor snooping around but surely there must be a thing where you don't want to give it away that much and he kind of i don't know when when they come in with the rope i mean that was a good idea to tie the book's yeah. That you're showing Mr. Kent. With Brandon right. almost wants to get caught. That's the thing I understand. When I watched this as a kid, mm. I kind of had the idea that they wanted to get caught in some weird, perverse way. Yeah. But it seems like Brandon wants to take it to the edge, but do he want to go to jail or, or it would have been hung, I suppose, in those days. Did you think it was a bit telegraphed? I don't know. Could it have been a bit more subtle perhaps? I don't know.
2: One of the misgivings I've, I've, I've had uh, about this is, you know, you for previously watching it, and again last night was, yes, Brendan seems to want to show how clever he is, um, but it's how far he'll go with wanting to show that off. And as I say, kind of getting caught necessitates you being exposed about what you've done, um, but also having got caught means you've not been that clever. So you, you can't. Sort of there's a paradox around the entire thing with with that going on. But mm-hmm. I, I've i my main misgiving with with the plot. I think from the beginning, of watching it is, I'm not really sure how how clever it is as a murder. If they tried to have some element where they'd had the um, it Kenneth, the the guy who was the the love rival that um, yeah. turned up to the party. If they'd ha- if with him turning up first to the to the party, if they'd kind of planted the rope upon him and had the you know the, the police then following up that lead and therefore there'd been some way in which they were planning on on planting um the body in some way that could implicate him and therefore they'd managed to not only kill somebody but then managed to make somebody else take the fall for it in in that way I think that would have been that would have been more satisfactory in a way because um I just don't think that getting somebody to turn up to your apartment and then strangling them and put them in a, a a box. I'm not sure that's necessarily hugely um, inventively clever. and I mean, maybe that's yeah. the point that these people are thinking that they are uh, the the Uber humans, the the next evolution or whatever, and they have mm. the right to do this when they're they they're not that um, actually cleverer than anybody else. But that that's one of the, the the bits of the the plot that, which obviously is from the source material. It's nothing to do with Hitchcock that. But I do feel that's a little bit of a of a letdown in it that stops it from being as 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 highly praiseable as it possibly could be, because the, the the murder in itself isn't that clever. I mean, it just takes a certain type of person to put a rope around somebody's neck and tighten it to kill them. It doesn't take a great amount of, of intelligence.
3: Yeah, I mean, you've got to think that the guy's branded basically must be a psychopath. So you know, you can't really we can't really um, necessarily identify him with that much but i felt like it didn't in the end it didn't really take too much detective work i mean it's come on it's like come on jimmy stewart sort it out you know it's they're, they're pretty much putting on a plate for him you know
2: it's not clever in that sense to to hide it from uh, jimmy stewart who's you know it takes him until he sees the hat really to to get more you know to then put the pieces together but
3: that was a great touch though because of course people did used to have their initials in their hats and in their suits didn't they you know that didn't. That was realistic. It wasn't uh, too much of a device, you know.
2: Yeah. yeah I, I still do just so I can remember who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so you whenever I say to people, "Don't you know who I am?" and they say, "No," so <laughs> <evil.">
3: <laughs> you mentioned reviews earlier. Yeah,
2: this is a couple of. I'm going to
3: read the negative ones because uh, I sometimes wonder how much <laughs> film critics, uh, how much stored anger they've got inside them that yeah. comes out. But this is Bos- Bosley Crowther of the New York Times, yeah. one of those very well-respected ones. The novelty is not in the plainly deliberate and rather thick exercise in suspense, but merely in the method which Mr. Hitchcock has used to stretch the intended tension for the length of the little stunt. Mm. Hmm, how patronizing is that? And then uh, a New Yorker. Rope is handicapped by some of the most relentlessly arched dialogue you've heard oh okay and i didn't know what arch meant in fact and it says having or showing an amused feeling of being superior or knowing more than other people which of course you could never label
2: that the in- the reviewers as that mm. could you <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's an arch reviewer calling the film
2: arch but um... i think anybody who sits around thinking they can give their opinions on a film and other people should be interested in in hearing it um, obviously yeah who would possibly kind of do rich.
0: that <laughs> There's no danger of anybody listening to us three prattling on, don't worry. (laughs) It's a private conversation. (laughs) Hitchcock himself described it as a flawed attempt at something. You know, he wasn't particularly happy with the end results. He said it was a failed experiment or something like that, I believe.
1: Yeah, but I'd
2: read that.
3: Yeah, but the thing is, you're also, if you look at... um, Sort of 100 years or so of film you're also performing a service for people later on because they can take your flawed idea and make it better I'll tell you what this hit me watching it the other
0: night Scream the very first Scream
2: movie
0: mm. well, th- it, the two it, boys are plotting aren't they to do the murders
2: the, yeah and one that hit me because um, this is the first time I've watched it in, in a number of years mm. um, The the thing that hit me was there's Steve Pemberton and, and, and Reese Shearsmith, do yeah. and they did obviously legal gentlemen, and and um, but there's within this has got some influence upon both their Inside Number Nine, mm-hmm. uh, sort of series of separate episode stories, and also there's I can't remember, I can't remember which episode it was. But there's like a, an episode of the other thing that they did called Psychoville, where there was it was very it was very much taken influence from Rope. As you say, it might not have been the most successful at the time. This, um, as far as audiences, but um, certainly the impact it's had on on cinema and influence it's had on, on filmmakers and and TV program makers. It's um, it's undeniable.
0: Long tracking shots are part and parcel of most movies nowadays.
3: You know. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, obviously
0: 1917 is, is the newest example of this sort of technique, but Mm. you know, we've seen it with Scorsese at the beginning, the Goodfellas and you know, all of those great movies where those long tracking shots have have been used and fair play Hitchcock took a bold step and, and thought, you know, I can do this and, 90% of the
3: time it works. I think if you compare him to, say, Kubrick, I mean, Kubrick, was it 13 films he made or something? Many, yeah, many. I mean, Hitchcock's the exact opposite. I'm pretty sure he notched up one a year or nearly. So I suppose the way he would look at it is, uh, oh, this is this year's film. I'm going to try this and I know I'm going to make another one. Whereas Kubrick, I mean, there were various reasons, like Kubrick was a massive perfectionist and perhaps. A couple of his ideas got blocked, uh, you know, with funding and all that kind of thing. But Kubrick really had to get it right because you might not get another film of his... I mean, later in his career for like five, six, (laughs) sometimes 12 years, you know. (laughs) So with Hitchcock, he was clearly an artist, but he was also almost like a... say a jobbing director, but I don't mean that as a bad thing. But, you know, he pretty much a film a year so oh this is this year's film and if i don't get it right then i'll be making another one and
0: i'll try something like a little like woody different. allen as well mm. woody allen definitely makes one a year yeah whether you yeah, want him to mean, or
2: I've, not. I've heard from you know about hitchcock that he lost interest in the you know in the process once the film started yeah. actually filming it was the it was the 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 plotting of the how you, it would be filmed and the, the technical detail was more where his, his heart was and his interest lay. I think maybe this was one that he was able to enjoy more during the actual process of filming it because there was the extra technical element rather than the fact he just... You're just filling in the, the, the dots and crossing the I's and dotting the T's as far as he might have been concerned with some of the others because he'd already done all the, all the creative bit and it was just applying it in some of the other films i suppose and um, whereas this one it there was still a challenge during the filming process and um, perhaps it undeniably you know it, it does take that that creativity where it, it's it's difficult to actually produce in the first place and to actually carry out so if he held his interest and you know then after it was done, he was on to the next one. Like you say, it was, you know, next year was was next year's film and what am I going to try and do cleverly this time? then I could understand that being a, a, the way his mind was working, as you said. Woody
3: Allen said exactly the same thing. He said the, the fun part is having the idea and writing the outline and then the rest of it's just boring. <laughs> it's just a chore, you know, the next... Yeah, yeah the whole creative process, yeah. Oh, yeah. We mentioned
0: right near the sort of top of the show about what our favourite Hitchcock movie was. Where does this sit amongst Hitchcock's CV for you
3: guys? I don't know how many of his I've seen. I've probably seen about 20 or 25. I'd probably put it about quite high, actually, fifth or sixth, perhaps. I think the ones I probably like more, I said Rear Window earlier, I like the first half of Psycho particularly. I like Frenzy a lot. Yeah. I really like Shadow of a Doubt and I like Strangers on a Train. and I don't remember all the other ones, but, uh, yeah, quite
2: high, actually. Pretty high. Mm, so, even for you? I think it, it's in the top ten, but not in the top five. Yeah. It's hovering at the lower end of the top ten for me. Mm, I think it's the technical element that keeps it within the top ten, because yeah. otherwise it might and, and Jimmy slip Stewart out and be in the top dozen even yeah. or whatever.
0: Yeah, and Jimmy Stewart, even though he's not sort of typical Jimmy Stewart in this movie, you know, my favourite actor, he's, he's got to be there at some point. But final thoughts?
3: Yeah, very enjoyable. Again, it's a little bit hard overhead because I just have great memories of watching this. And I think when when you've watched the film X amount of times and you know the plot backwards, yeah. not that there's that much to know here, you you just revel in... in, in and I, like I said, my, my lights would be... John Doyle as Brandon, uh, Mrs. <laughs> Atwater, uh, James Stewart kind of charming her slash mocking her <laughs> and, and the writing, great writing. But downsides, Farley Granger kind of falling apart a bit too easily for <laughs> Philip and slightly telegraph, slightly
2: clunky plot perhaps. But yeah,
3: yeah definitely a recommendation. Yeah. yeah. Stephen?
2: Yeah, it's not the easiest one to to like um, or to get into, I don't think, as far as Hitchcock's films. But um, I definitely recommend people um, watch it and sort of seek it out now you can. Now it's no longer hidden in a vault. Um, <laughs> give it... Because it is very important to see uh, as um, sort of the origin Of a lot of things and okay there might be some people who don't find the technical elements as interesting as us, and also some that might think that it looks old hat when it was actually the first time that we're doing done i think to have an understanding of film you would need to have, have seen this and also i think that if you allow it to to do so it can be it can actually be an enjoyable experience to to watch it if you um, are in the mate mindset to you know, take it on board. So people should get, go, and, go and find it. I'm not sure if it needs to be seen at a cinema, but it definitely needs to be seen, I think.
3: Mm. Film students will love it, of course, as well, worthy of technical study. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, Big this thing. time round, I, I really wasn't focusing on the technical side of things. I was, I was really focusing on the acting and, and, the, and the script and some of those great lines, as you say. So I think for a first-time watch, you might... Be forgiven for looking at the technical bits. If people have not seen this before, um, it is a top ten Hitchcock. It's not. It's not a bad movie. We're, we're not hinting that it's, it, it, it's a lesser Hitchcock. And as, as Stephen said, to have any of these movies in your CV is an achievement. You know, people would be killing each other to have at least one of the movies that he made. You know, um, it was great to go back and visit it after probably four or five years for me. Having watched it many, many times previously, I loved it. It's, it's it's not a bad movie at all.
3: You know, we were talking earlier about how they, you know, the reels were only ten minutes and they had to change the reel. Yeah. Uh, definitely the cleverest one of them is when James Stewart opens the chest <laughs> and yeah. the chest fills the screen. I mean, how that is genius <laughs> to to actually almost work it into the plot. You know, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. We're going to take a short break
0: because Anthony has very kindly agreed to come back on the show and I know he's selected something. I'm aware of what movie we're going to be doing. Stephen, you're not. Nope. nope. So it'll be a little bit of a surprise for you. Let's take a short break. We'll be back after this.
1: And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way.
0: Okay, so that was Rope. Alfred Hitchcock, nineteen forty-eight. As we say, Anthony is gonna come back for another episode. Hooray! Ooh. <laughs> rope was sort of a joint decision i think anthony sort of led with it but we all definitely agreed that rope was going to be the one we're going to talk about now anthony's going to take the lead on this one and then i think for future episodes where the three of us are together Stephen, you can choose the next one after this and then i'll choose one and we'll take it in turns i think will be the fair way of doing it yeah so anthony what are we going to be reviewing next time the three of us are together mate
3: well, this is a light seafaring adventure called Mutiny on the Bounty. Mm-hmm. Um, I should specify it's the 1962 version, starring the greatest actor ever to hit the screen Trevor Howard. Uh, Percy No, not, Or Richard Harris, no. Um, <laughs> Mr. Brando. I mean, okay, maybe Laurence Olivier tied uh, and a few <laughs> other honorable mentions, but no, I, I love Marlon Brando. Um, this is definitely a flawed uh, masterpiece. The, the making of it I, it's I Cleopatra proportions isn't it this one yeah and and I mean I I've read and know a lot about Brando and it, you know he's a, he's a very flawed character are we you know? going
0: to be talking about the wife and the
3: ex-wife and all, oh, all God, of that yes.
0: malarkey that went on yeah
3: <laughs> yeah and the making of it is just <laughs> I would say to you guys just just try and read a bit about the making it's absolutely unbelievable yes. but um they've of course been I'm sure we'll talk about the other two versions but there have been three versions of the Mutiny on the Bounty this is the middle one mm-hmm. and um, yeah we're going to be doing that one it's uh, it's long it's nearly three hours but uh, I don't think you'll get bored it's uh, it's pretty good
0: I've yeah. seen it Stephen have you seen that particular version
2: I have a long time ago yeah. though so it'll be almost a rewatch for me because uh, almost a fresh watch I mean mm. um, because it's so long ago since I've seen it to be fair yeah
0: well, to be honest, we're not going to get together for a little while. So we've got plenty of time now, guys, to get hold of a copy of that and watch it and get your thoughts together. And and as Anthony says, if any of you guys listen to my Rainbow Valley episode on the Making of Cleopatra, I think this almost rivals it for the, the, yeah. the stuff that was going on, you know, financially and backstabbing and, and and all the controversy that was going on with Brando and the director. And yeah, yeah, it's it's a story worthy of a movie itself almost definitely. I do like this version. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the the 35 one I think it was was the original one, but mm. this one, yeah, it'd be good to see it because I don't think I've seen this for a few years. So, looking forward to that. Before we go, Anthony, could you just let the listener know where they can take a listen to your podcast?
3: Yeah, so it's Glass Onion on John Lennon. I'm on all the usual places itunes stitcher Podbean, spotify the twitter is at onion lennon capital o capital l and it's a deep dive into john lennon uh we know it's a topic that's been covered a lot but i think we've been finding a new a uh, few different angles and i've had some amazing guests you I had scott have. phipps oh, and, really? and scott phipps and scott phipps i did that joke last time sorry you did, yeah. and uh that's <laughs> a yeah that's a brilliant guest i mean i had um, a couple of people who are in the quarry men with john lennon and uh soon to be talking to uh it's actually a couple and the woman was sean lennon's playmate when they were kids and she was around the dakota a lot in the last few years which is the very contentious period where some people think john lennon was very happy before his untimely demise and some people think that uh, the opposite that he was this kind of wasted drug addict so uh, the, the plot thickens uh, like brando he's, he's a very compelling character so yep yeah. That's my podcast. Highly recommended.
2: I don't usually do this, but Stephen,
0: tell us about Real Britannia.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Real Britannia, well, there's so much, such a widespread um, different type of cinema out there within British cinema. You've got the Hammers, you've got the, the Ealing Comedies, you've got the James Bonds. And you've got the what we're currently having a look at as well is the um, kitchen sink um, realisms. Yeah. There's such a, a wide variety in there, and it's had such an influence upon um, culture as a whole. We can keep on going forever and, and assessing and commenting on all sorts of different types of British cinema and it may be that one particular film isn't to your taste but you'll find the next episode will be a completely different type of film from a different time frame and probably a different genre because um, we jump around um, as much as we like. So <laughs> it's, it, to have an idea about British cinema um, without it being too dry um, and with just a hint of professionalism then Rubert is where you should go. It's fantastic listeners. See, this Get is on why,
0: it. this is why, This is why you two are here on Stinking Paws. I love the pair of you. <laughs> that has been the Stinking Paws. That has been Rope. It's been Alfred Hitchcock. Mutiny on the Bounty. Next time the three of us are together, Anthony, Stephen, thank you so much, guys. Take care. See you very soon. Thank you very much. Bye.
2: Take care. <laughs>
1: The management of this theater suggests that for the greater entertainment of your friends who have not yet seen the picture, you will not divulge to anyone the secret of the ending. Astrid Arms! That infernal jamboree is worse than two cats on a fence! You dudes get lost now, you hear? Good night, ladies. Good night, sir! Thinking That's what I told the man Said Don't wear a frown Try Positive thinking Laugh at your troubles instead You've got to look On the bright side On hope so much Depends With your confidence sinking Positive thinking Helps you on the way my friend When things look black Try Positive thinking Treat every season of spring No glancing back Try positive thinking Trust what tomorrow may Bring this crazy world That we live in will keep on spinning round But with good, strong Positive thinking We'll get together And life won't let us down Shut up all oh, shut help. We enjoy it.